This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Night Fits Podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, and we are pumped up tonight to be joined by Brendan Todd. Brendan is a 2007 grad of the University of Georgia, where he was a four-time All-American and a part of the 2005 National Championship team. He is coming off three top tens in the 2021 PGA Tour season, and he is a three-time winner on the PGA Tour, and probably most importantly, he's a DGD. So, Brendan, thanks for joining us, and uh, so good to chat with you tonight, man. Yeah, great to be on. Um, always love supporting the dogs. And, uh, yeah, like you said, sharing my story and uh, just talking some Georgia sports. So let's start off with you are currently in, I can imagine, one of the worst places on the planet in Napa, <laughs> California. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at the North Course at the Silverado Country Club, opening the 2021-2022 uh, PGA Tour season at the, uh, are they saying Fortnet or Fortnet? How do they pronounce this thing? Fortnet? Yeah, we're at the Fortnet Championship out Fortnet. here in Napa, California. Uh, yeah, they're for- a di- digital security company. They're a new sponsor this year for the tournament. It was formerly called the Safeway Open. Yeah, that's right. At, uh, Silverado Resort and Golf Club. Pretty neat golf course, tree line, pretty tight, sets up really good for my game. And uh, like you said, I mean, Napa is an incredible place. The weather usually when we come out here is uh, perfect, you know, 90 degrees, dry air, um, sunny skies. And it's really probably one of my favorite small towns in the country, um, you know, outside of Athens and some of the other gems. Uh, This one's just really special. I love wine and uh, they've got a great community out here. So you are teeing off early tomorrow, what, 7.45 tea time in the morning on the West Coast, so 10.44 here right. out east. And uh, who you got tomorrow? You got, you got Lonto Griffin and Danny Willett playing with you? That's right, yeah. Lonto Griffin, um, really good guy, early 30s, played at Virginia Tech. Uh, we got our cards in 2019 at the same time again through the uh, Corn Ferry Finals there. And then Danny Willett, you know, just a – a great player from England, Masters champion. So definitely somebody uh, Georgians should be familiar with. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Well, um, I want to start with you just because I think this is something from a sports spectator consumership that doesn't get enough, I think, publicity. What's mm-hmm. what's big? What's biggest tour event? What, 156 guys or something? Hundred mid mid one fifty. Yeah, I mean, start, I think the British the Open. Tournament. The British Open has 160 players, I believe. The biggest PJ Tour event usually is 156. Maybe half of the tournaments have that many, and then the other half have slightly slimmer fields, 132 or 144. Or if it's an invitational, it's 120 players. Some of the World Golf Championship events have as few as 78. So, yeah, we, we vary in field size out here, but 
I think probably what you're getting at is you've got to beat a lot of great players every week if you're going to come out on top. Well, not just that. I want to look at this in the grand scope of professional sports, right? Mm -hmm. Like to make it to the PGA Tour, you have to be the elite of the elite at your craft. And like I was I was breaking down the numbers on it. So let's say it's 156 guys starting. That's three Mm -hmm. NFL rosters. So only three (laughs) NFL teams. That's yeah. only six base major league baseball teams or six NHL rosters and only 13 NBA teams. So I just, I just feel like when you're reaching the pinnacle of your sport, being a PJ tour golfer is you really got to be locked in to hit that mark. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I think it, you're trained a little bit that way growing up from the sense that if, you know, if you're a junior all American with the AJGA, there's three teams of 10, uh, that's 30 guys. If you're a, all a, Team All-American in college, there's 30 guys, three teams of 10 again. So, um, you know, I think you, you always feel like if you're in that top 30 to 50 or even top 100 maybe in your uh, sort of in your group, you know, whether it's junior golf, college golf, professional golf, you know, you're kind of where you have to be in order to be a competitive player. And obviously now the PGA Tour, you know, when you get to the professional ranks, you're talking about guys, you know, over a 30-year age span, 20 to 50 or even larger than that at times um, and people from all over the world. So, yeah, I think every one of us out here that has our PGA tour car, we feel, uh, you know, fortunate that, you know, we were able to accomplish that. Um, But also we know that we're we're playing for our job each and every year. You can lose it at at any point. Um, You know, one, one six month slump and you're probably off the tour. So I want to start at the beginning of your journey. You played your high school golf in Cary. Is that right? Right, Cary, North Carolina at Green Hope High School. Yeah, great, great spot. So my uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law went to uh, Campbell, and while they were at Campbell, they were living in Cary. So my wife oh, and nice. I spent a lot of time there. Yeah, great great area right there, uh, not too far from the Triangle, great little spot in the, in the Raleigh yep. area. I want to learn a little bit about your recruiting journey. We had Hacker on the show a few months back. And after talking with him, I can imagine that he's just aces as a recruiter. I mean, <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what your college recruitment was like and why you ultimately settled on going to Athens and spending four years at the University of Georgia? Definitely. Um, yeah, so I mean, I started playing junior golf tournaments when I was about 10. And by 14 or 15, I was a pretty competitive national player. Um, I played in the U.S. Junior Amateur in 2000 and 2001. So those would have been years when I was probably 15, 16. I remember at my first U.S. Junior, I uh, made match play, and I was paired against Christo Grayling. And he was already committed to come play at the University of Georgia, and Coach Hack was out there watching, and Christo was a stud. And he was maybe the first or second best player in the country and the world even at that time. And uh, he drove me pretty good. He beat me four and three. He birdied all five, four fives that day, just – pounded at 310 down the middle every time it seemed like but I showed a little bit of fight that round and uh, got hackers attention and so that was sort of um, for me that was really my first splash on the national scene I would say and to have coach hack out there watching coincidentally was probably a great fortune on on my part and um, you know we kind of struck up a relationship then and I felt like the first day that him and Douglas uh, could send me a letter, they sent me a handwritten note. And um, I think that went a long way in solidifying them being, uh, you know, one of the major contenders for 
for my, uh, you know, my top choice. Coincidentally, in my family, I had a couple, I had an uh, uncle and a cousin that both went, or two cousins that went to the University of Georgia. So, oh, cool. Yeah, so growing up, like, Georgia was always a place that I it was a fan of. You know, I knew the fight songs and whatnot. And being born in Pittsburgh, you know, my parents went to Ohio State. So a little bit of interest from Ohio State, but I knew I wasn't going to go up north. Um, in the Raleigh area, Wake Forest, Duke, and North Carolina were great destinations and places I definitely considered. But for me, um, you know, as I had some success in junior golf and, you know, got those opportunities at those schools I just mentioned, uh, I feel like Georgia was really coming on. They won the 1999 national championship. Right. I really liked the way Coach Hack and Coach Douglas interacted with the players, interacted with me as a recruit. I felt like the facilities at the time were really, really good. And, you know, they were a national contender that uh, I thought would groom me for the professional game, as well as coming to Athens to have a great time going to the football games. I mean, every recruiting trip I took to Georgia was probably the best weekend of my life at that point. So um, it was it really was a pretty easy decision for me. The only thing pulling me the other way was UNC was right down the road. My brother went there um, and, you know, I felt like that would have been another really fun school to go to. But ultimately, I chose Georgia and uh, never looked back, never regretted it one time. And like you said, uh, damn proud to be a dog. Well, y'all obviously had just stacked teams while you were right. there. I mean, what, three, four, four PGA pros on that team? Is that right? Yeah, as many as, many as four at one time. Um, but yeah, I guess four was the max. No, five. Yeah. Me, Kirk, Kisner, Harmon, and Hudson are oh, all guys right. that I've were all guys that I played with. Now, Hudson and Kisner never overlapped, but um, me and Chris overlapped with all three of those guys at some point. Yeah, and while you were there, not only are you guys playing lights out golf, you're there for a pretty good stretch of Georgia football too. Absolutely. I mean, 05 SEC champions right after y'all come off y'all's. Uh, national championship at Caves Valley, which I want to talk to you a little bit about. How cool yeah. is it seeing uh, Caves Valley host a FedEx Cup event this year? You know, kind of hearkening back to um, to y'all's victory there in 05 over Georgia Tech. I mean, just right. a, lot of, a lot of cool memories there, I can imagine. Yeah, it was really neat. I was bummed not to qualify for the BMW championship this year since it was at Caves. Um, like what, what, was that, what was that this year? Semis? Is that right? Yeah, semis? so it was the second to last event, uh, top 70 yeah. players. I finished 105 last year on the FedEx. And, um, yeah, so I was bummed to miss Case Valley. But watching it on TV, you know, definitely brought back a lot of cool memories. And, you know, that the cool thing about that, that week and that team we had that year was the five guys that played on that national championship team, we pretty much played every event for two years together. So the bond and the camaraderie and the experiences that we had over those two seasons um, – are unforgettable, you know, and they're just, we had such a great time together. Um, the seven of us, including Hacker and Douglas, that literally every time we went on the road was like, you know, we were just having a blast and, you know, I took competing and having a good time socializing off the course and playing card games and dice games. And um, so when we put it all together to win that national championship, it really felt like it was a, you know, a five man effort and a seven-man effort, including the coaches, where, you know, we were just a cohesive unit. Uh, we all believed in one another. All of our games were peaking because we were literally spending every day for the two years before that grinding, practicing, pushing each other, um, you know, really, you know, be, becoming the best team in the country. And, and that's what 
what we showed that week, especially with those five uh, five rounds of 70 in the final round to close it out. A lot of the former players across all sports at Georgia that we've had the opportunity to chat with talk as much about the relationships they have with their teammates as they do about particular games mm-hmm. or um, memories from on the field action, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is that camaraderie still present? And is it cool to see like when Kiz wins this year, like is it cool for y'all to kind of celebrate that if one of your guys has got one or like when you've had your three wins or or whoever it may be, Harry's had a huge year this year. Right. Like, are you guys all kind of rooting for each other and it's 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 a cool camaraderie still, even though y'all are now 15, 16 years out of being at Georgia. Yeah, I would say it definitely is. It really is for me. You know, I mean, I was really excited to see Harris, um, you know, get those two wins this year. He had a bunch of close calls, um, including in Mexico when I won a couple of years ago. And I feel like, you know, he was a little bit overdue to get that, uh, get those wins. And I, I believe those were his third and fourth victories now on the PGA Tour. So, to, you know, to see him become a four-time winner is pretty special. He joined uh, Kirk with four wins and then Kisner got one at the Wyndham championship, which was so cool. I mean, it was in typical kids fashion, you know, being in the six man playoff and almost chipping in in the first hole and then getting a second chance and stuffing it and finishing it off, you know, so that was great to see, especially for a guy who I think had lost five playoffs already. So, you know, he's just, uh, he's a great friend of mine. And like you were saying, so the relationships we have that we formed in college and then even the ones that I have with the guys who played after me, uh, are really special and they're they're probably some of my closest friends in the world and on the tour and so yeah for me I, I love pulling for the other guys and, and what's cool about having 10 or 11 guys on tour right now is seems like every week or every month um, somebody's doing really well and really all of us um, tend to you know have their own little run and so it's uh, it's not the same guy all the time seems like everybody kind of gets hot at different times and so there's always a dog playing well and so I think for us, you know, it's really unique. I think it, it helps motivate us. It, it gives us friends out here. You know, golf can be kind of a lonely game. Um, and I would say what's cool is we have maintained the friendships, even though we're out here competing against each other, playing an individual sport that, you know, doesn't always lend itself to, you know, making great friends because it is such an ind- individual sport. So you come off a banner career at UGA, four-time All-American. You were the dog's top individual scorer during the 2005 National Championship run. Um, And what I love about your story is it's such a picture of tenacity and perseverance to to chase your dream and hit your goals. So could you just tell our listeners a little bit about your professional journey starting in 08 on Nationwide and then 09 on the PGA and then kind of grinding your way through till 2014 and your first PGA win at the Byron Nelson? For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I was a pretty steady junior golfer. Seemed like it got better every year. And then in college, um, I came in and had a really solid freshman year winning SECs as a freshman, uh, getting another win my sophomore year, culminating there with the national championship. And I kind of had a slump there at the end of uh, my junior year. And in a way, unfortunately, it sort of showed maybe what my future was going to be like because, um, I, you know, I didn't – even though I was four-year All-American, my, my third year wasn't nearly as good as the first, second, or fourth. Um, and so I had to really battle through that slump there the summer of uh, 06 before my senior year. 
and fortunately, I was able to come out of it. And, you know, I played great my senior year. I had seven top tens, was the first team All-American. And I entered pro golf on a really good run. And I think I won my first mini tour event on the Tar Heel Tour. I won a Hooters event my first summer out. And I got to the Nationwide Tour, like you said, in 08. And I was able to go out there and play some pretty consistent golf with uh, uh, maybe seven top tens that year as well with the win. And um, so I earned my PJ Tour card in you know, a year and a half after college and was sort of showing signs of becoming the pro that um, maybe I was supposed to be with you know, being such a steady, steady and successful junior and college golfer. But when I got to the tour, you know, it, it kind of hit me in the face a little bit. And um, I only made five of 21 cuts my first year. And you had to go back to the nationwide tour for a couple of seasons and, you know, rebuild my game again. Cause I, I went through another terrible slump in 2010 and couldn't find the fairway off the tee, but uh, you know, grinded through it and proved that I could. Once again, I won the Q school in 2011 for the 2012 PJ tour season and got back on tour there in 12, had a steady year finishing 150, And then on uh, in 13, and um, with limited starts, I finished 145 on the PGA Tour, but also got that win at the Stadion Classic in 2013 on the Nationwide Tour at the time. So, you know, just uh, like you said, perseverance and grit and just uh, understanding that, you know, golf's not a game of perfect and not everybody's going to have, uh, you know, 10 or 20 year career that just looks like they you know never slip and always keep their PGA Tour card. You know, I used the experiences I had at Georgia where, uh, you know, I had some ups and downs and had to grind through it. And, uh, you know, when I got that in 2014, when I was kind of running hot there after 13, you know, I just played some unbelievable golf and, um, you know, got that win at the 2014 Byron Nelson classic and even carried it over. I mean, I think I finished fourth the next week, colonial and sixth on my next event at the Memorial and then was in the last group of the U S open in the next event. So I just went on this one month tear of incredible golf, um, just doing everything right, hooping a lot of putts. And which is what I've got to do in order to contend and win tournaments out here. So for all of our listeners that aren't huge golf fans, Brendan mm-hmm. is a right is a right-handed golfer, but I want you to tell our listeners about a left-handed shot <laughs> that was pivotal to your 2014 win at the Byron Nelson. Yeah. So on the back nine, uh, I believe it was par three 14 and I hit a seven iron a little bit left. It kind of, caromed off the mound over there and got stuck up against a tree and i mean there aren't many part threes that have trees near the green but this one happens to have a pretty thick oak tree about 15 feet off the left side of the green my ball was right up against it when i was walking up there i was pretty sure i had a had a lead at the time but i didn't know what it was um i was playing with louis Eustazen in the last group and i was beating him by a few but i didn't know where i stood i wasn't watching leaderboards so i got up there and uh really the only shot i saw was was a left-handed putt um, but I had this big black round mallet, so I couldn't use the back of my putter. So I pull out a four iron and my caddy's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was like, I'm about to hit the hill left-handed putt. And he's like, you sure? <laughs> he's like, you sure you can't stand in the right hand? And I was like, Steve, get out of the way. Like, I got this. And coincidentally, like, I, I have a brother-in-law, Stuart Moore, who played college golf at Auburn. He put, he plays lefty. So at his, at his parents' house, I've putted with a um, left-handed putter a bunch of times. And I just use my normal grip. It's cross-handed for lefty. And so I, I walked up there with a four iron and gripped it like I'd normally would grip a putt and just kind of tapped it down there, uh, left-handed style. And it rolls up over the mound and feeds left and curls down to about five feet. And, you know, after I made the par putt and won the tournament, it kind of, people look back on it like that was the most clutch shot of the week probably because 
I could have done a, a myriad of different things that could have gone all kinds of sideways and made a double bogey and, you know, ended up you know, spiraling there. But, uh, you know, just that one clutch left-handed shot came in handy. And I, I can tell you, I'm not sure if I've hit another left-handed shot on a, in a tournament since. So we talked earlier about how elite the PGA Tour field is, just to be in the field, right, just to get a start on the event. What is it like to win an event on the PGA Tour? What, what are the emotions like when you, when you reach that point? And what does it feel like when you're, when you're holding the trophy on that 18th green? Yeah, I would say each time I've won Nationwide Tour or PGA Tour, I've just been – overwhelmed with joy and pride you know um you know humbled that i was able to battle through the uh the, the down times and just so excited that everything came together that week and i played that well and was able to win because winning special out here i mean it's just <clears throat> it's difficult um you have to have a lot of things go right i think all three times i've won the pga tour i've chipped in that week. So, you know, for me, it just, it takes very elite scoring. Um, we're playing against unbelievable players and yeah, I mean, it, it just brings so much happiness to my heart. Uh, you know, when I get a win. If you were given advice to young junior golfers or high school golfers that are chasing the, the dream of playing college golf, what would be, um, I guess your one bullet point takeaway for them is they're honing their game and, and trying to reach that goal. I think it's create competition um, as often as you can. So whether that's your, maybe you're fortunate to play a lot of junior golf tournaments and, and play a lot of competition, or maybe you're not that fortunate and you know, you only get to play a handful of times a year because maybe your family can't afford it or, you know, you're busy with school or another sport. You know, you've got to go out there with your friends. You got to find somebody to play with and go compete, play for a candy bar, play for five bucks, um, have chipping contests, have putting contests, you know, have a shot making contest on the range. You know, get out of the the technical element of the game and really get into competing and enjoying that competition and fine tuning your mental process and how you handle pressure. Because I really think that competition and being able to to play against somebody else and succeed is what's going to take you the furthest. I want to talk a little football with you. Obviously an exciting year for the dogs. They open up with a monster win against Clemson in Charlotte at the Dukes Mayo classic. Mm -hmm. They come out last week and just absolutely decimate a really good UAB team in the home opener at Sanford. And I don't know how it's been for you watching this year, but to me, they just look different. Um, mm-hmm. not just in the speed and the way they're playing, but they just seem very focused and very locked right. in. And I'll say too, just based off what we've heard from them in press conferences and the way they interacted on the sideline in Charlotte, they also seem to like each other. Mm-hmm. Like they get along really well and they yeah. got like in Charlotte guys were up off the bench and they were cheering for other guys. Um, yeah. and, that's just a difference maker. I think it just right. seems like they are very focused on one goal, one team. Um, so yeah, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts and, and how excited you are about the, the dogs 2021 season. I've definitely noticed the same thing, you know, um, the team celebrating, you know, whoever gets the sack, um, you know, maybe it's a running back congratulating or, you know, patting another running back on the head after a good play. 
um, you know, and that takes selflessness and, and, you know, great team chemistry and love, like you said, for these guys, these running backs are literally competing for time and they want to be the guy, but they understand that it might take two or three of them in order to be the best team in the country. So I think that's been pretty, pretty neat to watch. Like you said, um, a lot of love on this team. I think that, uh, you know, it feels to me like we, we do have a lot of speed, a lot of skill players all, all over the field, whether it's on defense or on offense, um, pretty organized so far. Uh, we, had, we had a few penalties there um, against Clemson that I, I would have liked to have seen be a little bit cleaner. But um, I think the, the number one thing is going to be, you know, can JT Daniels get healthy and get confident and, you know, become the superstar we probably need him to be if we're going to win an SEC and national championship in the same year, because um, I think we've proven that Stetson Bennett's probably not going to be the guy that takes us all the way. You know, it's going to be tough for him when he gets against some of those um, elite defenses. And I think JT's shown he's got the metal and the skills that he can handle those types of teams, um, but he's got an oblique injury. And I think right now it's just kind of, how quickly can it heal and can he get in there and get the reps and get the wins to uh, get the confidence, not only in himself, but in the team and, you know, and lead us into some, uh, some more wins. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's going to be a really interesting storyline over the next couple of weeks to see how they handle that. Cause you know, in oblique, I don't think a lot of people, common sports fan probably realizes how tough that injury is for right. a quarterback. Um, you know, it would be tough for a golfer. It's right. tough, the, the court, tough the in baseball. Motion, the throwing motion is rotational, man, just like yeah. the golf motion. And I've seen guys out here with oblique injuries the last six weeks. Yep. So if you think about that from JT's perspective, if it takes six weeks, you know, now we're all the way to the Florida game. And right. you know, we don't want him going to, down into Jacksonville, um, having that be his first start in, in six weeks. So, you know, we can't control it. And I think that, Kirby and the team and he, and he will do their, their best to make the right decisions and, and um, be prepared. But I'm with you. Like that's a tough injury. It's, it's tough, man. You know, I, I played a lot of baseball. I played in college and mm-hmm. that is an injury that if you have it, it's, it's debilitating in a lot of ways if you play a rotational sport. And so, yeah, when I heard it was that, I was, oh, no, because you just, you don't, depending on the severity, you don't know how limiting it'll be or how long it'll last. But the good thing is, you know, like Kirk Herbstreet said last week on game day, they could pick a student out of the student section to play quarterback and they can beat UAB, South Carolina, Dandy. So. <laughs> yeah. That Kirk was nicer to say. I don't know. Yeah. Some of those passes that, those first six passes that Stetson Bennett threw were pretty special. I mean, I know the, Brock Powers was pretty open at times, but that was that was pretty cool. Did you see the clip? It was really cool. There was a uh, there was a video vantage point from the opposite end zone when Arian uh, got his big touchdown pass, mm-hmm. and as Stetson snap uh, gets the snap, JT Daniels raises both hands in a touchdown, and they apparently asked him about it. And he said, I, "I could see it. I saw the defense. I knew what play we were calling because I was in a headset. Yeah. And I knew if I knew if we got this look, it was going to be a touchdown." He's like, so as soon as they came out and I saw the soft corner, I knew we were getting a look. I knew Stetson was going to hit it. I saw it was kind of a cool inside baseball type thing. Yeah, I yeah. didn't see that clip, but I love that. And, again, that yeah. shows you that love that they have for one another. I mean, JT knows how important it is for them to be able to win when he's not in there. So 
That's cool. Yeah. I thought it was cool, man. I think it's, and, and he has been great about leading that charge, whether it's him saying he's going to use 50% of whatever his proceeds are from this signature deal that he got with the NIL to go back to his teammates. Or I just think, and it seems to me too, like his guys like him, you know, like that team was ready to fight for him, which, you know, you can't quantify those things, but boy, it's important. So yeah, I love that, man. I I just love where they're at. It has to show a lot about the coaching staff. I mean, sometimes those ideas don't always come to them, you know, on their own. And maybe somebody kind of helps them realize that decisions like those and leadership like that can go a long way. And I think there's no doubt that Kirby's a great leader and and a great mentor to these guys. And that's one of the things he always talks about, like cohesion among the teammates, you know, showing some love for one another. Um, I actually took a cool tour of the football facility and um, this was a couple weeks ago. And they've done an interesting thing in their locker room where they group the guys' lockers based on personality types and oh, not, wow. by, not by positions. So, you know, they've all taken personality tests and the psychologist helped them understand, look, these guys are going to get along well and these guys are going to get along well. And not only does it keep some, some good chemistry in there, but it also has defensive players and offensive players interacting. Mingling. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and hanging out. So, you know, I think that just shows the, <clears throat> the level of detail that Kirby and the coaching staff has gone through to, uh, you know, to make sure that this team's successful and that they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's. Man, that's such an awesome tidbit. And let me tell you, that makes so much sense because mm-hmm. I think for him, he seems to be always learning, right? He seems very like, Right. cerebral and trying to figure out what the process should look like and how they can grow and be better. And I think for him and probably the full coaching staff, the lesson of 2020, and he said this at media days and has brought it up occasionally in his pressers since then, but was the lack of connection, right? Lack of connectivity. Like you're mm-hmm. not seeing guys, you're not spending time with guys. Mm-hmm. And they've talked about honing in on that, like right. g- giving up some practice time even to do what they're calling skull sessions where guys sit and hang out and talk together. So, uh-huh. man, that's cool. I didn't know the thing. Yeah, the, other thing I saw, that's awesome. the other thing I saw on that tour was he's got like their four words, their motto for the year. And I don't remember exactly what they were. Let's just call them teamwork, cohesiveness, discipline, you know, something like that. Well, he said all four of those in his um, – post-game interview uh yeah. i think after clemson you know so he doesn't miss a moment to keep the guys focused on the task at hand or you know whatever it is whether it's keep chopping or you know the it, the goal is the goal or you know whatever the, the motto is at the time he's always making sure that uh his team hears him say it and um you know he's just keeping them focused Yeah, one of the things I've loved about Coach's tenure is he's been so keenly focused, I think, even from when he got there in 16 on the the mental side of the game Mm -hmm. and getting guys locked in. And I think that's the muscle that gets discounted the most in sports, right, is is the one between our ears. Like, I just think it means so much. And, boy, he's put a lot of weight and focus on that. And I think the the fruit of that is really starting to show this year. Because, man, they're just playing very free, I think. And you know as an athlete – that's when you're the best is when you're just yeah. letting it rip and you're not kind of, kind of breaking it down piece by piece. So yeah, I'm really excited about what's coming up and um, I'm hoping for a, for a 12 and 0 rematch in, in out in Atlanta with Alabama to, to get rid of some old ghosts. <laughs> oh man, that would be incredible. Yeah. I would love yeah. that too. 
All right, Brendan. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us tonight. We want to close with you how we close all of our interviews. Speaking of Coach Smart, we do something called the Smart 16, which are just kind of 16 fun questions as an homage to, to Coach's number when he was playing at Georgia. So I'm, I'm going to hit you with them, all right? Let's go. Okay, first one is what's your middle name? Dean. All right, second one is, and you can go where you want with this since you played golf at Georgia. Either you can do favorite dog of all time or you can do favorite teammate of all time. Your choice. Um, wow, favorite dog of all time. It's Nick Chubb. You know, he showed, showed the resilience that I've shown in my career, um, the selflessness, the leadership. And, uh, I mean, he's just a beast. And he showed it at Georgia and he's shown it in the NFL. Boy, you can't miss with that answer, man. He's he's just he's world class in so many yeah. ways. Yeah. And he had a big, big first game on Sunday against the Chiefs. So I love seeing sure that. Yep. Okay. What is um, I, I'm gonna two parts you on this. What is your favorite game that you ever attended at Sanford Stadium? And then I'm gonna flip that also. What is your favorite um, tournament and or match you were ever part of as a dog on the golf team? Um my favorite game I went to was Georgia LSU, and I believe it was the fall of 2004. I was there. Um, and it was a huge matchup because both teams were ranked really high, and I believe yeah. we got our SEC championship rings at that game. So yep. it was just a really cool weekend, an awesome game, and, uh, you know, one that was a lot of fun for us. Yeah, and it was beautiful that day. Three thirty yeah. kick on CBS, like yeah, yeah. It was that, just, that, that was a great day. That was a great game. And then, so what? Favorite match? Favorite UGA yeah, favorite, match? Favorite match or favorite tournament? I mean, I, I guess 05 stuff the top. Oh five at games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, from a team perspective, that national championship week was just incredible. I mean, down to like, I can tell you, we were listening to Led Zeppelin, Cashmere, and. Uh, in the bus ride on the way to the golf course every day, you know, just the, the memories that I have from that week, you know, Jim Douglas was driving the van. He was also walking up the 18th hole with me um, in the last group on Sunday, beating Georgia tech. Um, you know, like I said, the five guys that played every, just about every tournament for two years of the camaraderie we had, that was such a special tournament selfishly, um, you know, winning the 2004 SEC championship as a freshman, was a tournament that will, you know, probably be my proudest uh, one-week performance um, as a dog. All right. What is your favorite rivalry that the dogs have? Uh, football game for me is Georgia-Auburn. You know, I just – I love that game. We've had a lot of success against them lately. Um, I've got in-laws who are Auburn fans. So, the Georgia-Auburn game is big in our house every year. So, we have told a lot of our guests this. My co-host and I took the, like – you know, amongst ourselves, what we thought people would answer on a lot of these. Yeah. And we just figured, right, that everybody would pick Florida. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, it was, <laughs> it's been between 85, 90% Auburn. Like, yeah. Deep South's oldest rivalry hits in a different yeah, way. I mean, I think, yeah. I think, you know, I've always been a big fan of, you know, home and away rivalries. You know, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I would, I would love to see Georgia, Florida be a home and away because you get them in your house every other year just yeah. like we get Auburn in our house. And I think the Auburn fans actually are good fans. You know, they're, they're fun to, to be around um, both in Athens and down there in Auburn. So, you know, that's just, it's a great rivalry, you know, uh, Georgia, Florida, 
I think they maybe have had a little too much success in the last 30 years against us. The guys <laughs> that really picked that one right now, I think we're getting closer, though. Yeah, that's probably couple true. More yeah, wins. A couple more wins, I, we might be back picking that robbery. I think Kirby's uh, turning the tide for that one for us, so I am Absolutely. thankful for that. Okay, what what is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? I honestly haven't been to enough of them, but it's going to be LSU. Um, yeah, I just think that one, it's a tough place to play. Uh, they bring a ton of energy, a ton of hate, and uh, it's just, it's got to be uh, one of the coolest environments. Okay. What is the, and this may be, this may mimic, uh, this may mimic your answer to number three, but what is the loudest home game you've ever attended between the hedges? I think when we scored that touchdown against Tennessee four or five years ago with 10 or 20 seconds left, I mean, the place went nuts. And then literally they scored 10 seconds later to win the game. And yeah. I've never heard it go so silent. It, it was unbelievable how 92,000 people were so loud and so, so quiet so fast. So it was a heartbreaker game. I hated that we lost it, but that's the, probably the loudest I've heard at Sanford Stadium when, when we scored that touchdown. You know, it's so interesting that you, <clears throat> that you say that because uh, we've had another guest say that was the loudest as well. And it was so loud. Yeah, and, and it should have been. Like, that was an yeah. electric moment. Yeah. Huge, huge play. I think it was like a 50, 50-some-yard 50 touchdown pass. Easton hits right. – uh, maybe Riley Ridley was who caught that maybe? Yeah, I think that's um, right. Yeah, so God, that, that was a tough day, yeah. Yeah, that was Kirby's first year. That was – that yeah. was uh, yeah, 16. Oh, yeah, it was, that, was, that was a tough one. Okay. You get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia Theater. Who do you choose? Widespread Panic. Oh, that's a good one. I've been a huge Panic fan my whole life. Great Athens band. Um, it'd be fun to have them back. All right. What is the cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? I love a good tequila soda. So I'm going Patron soda with a lime. Okay, I'm not trying to get you in trouble with anybody on this, but if you're back in Athens for one meal, what's your favorite place to eat in Athens? Where are you going? Five and ten. Oh, that's been that we've had that one before. That's a good answer. So I yeah, saw uh, Todd Blackledge is doing the game this week, and you know he does that Taste of the Town for ESPN. Yeah. So he tweeted out this week, um, I'm, I'm going to bring back Taste in the Town. We're going to be in Athens. Where should I go in Athens? So last time he was there, he went to Weaver D's and Mama's Boy, which two, yeah. two pretty two pretty good spots. <laughs> right. So, yeah, and I, a bunch of people suggested that he go to 5 and 10. So that's a good one. That's a real good one. All right. Do, yeah, but I mean, I think, I think for him, I would recommend Last Resort for him. I mean, Last Resort's kind of like the downtown Athens staple, everybody's favorite meal in town. Um but so I would I wouldn't mind seeing him go there. But five and ten is you know where I'm taking my wife. That's for sure. That's true, and I think Last Resort would look cool on TV the way it's yeah. set up now. Especially if they popped the garage door open out to the sidewalk and stuff. Like yeah, that, that 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 would look good on TV for sure. Okay, um, do you have any? Let's say um, tournament week superstitions. We usually ask our athletes if they have game day superstitions. So do you have? You have, you know, you're about to tee it up tomorrow, 7.44 a.m. Do you have to be at the range for a certain amount of time, <laughs> hit a certain amount of balls? Like, what's uh, what things do you have to do to get yourself right? Yeah, everybody's got their routine. Uh, I wouldn't call them superstitions, though. It's strictly just, you know, this is the amount of time you need to perform well. Um, and I think I've had, you know, it goes one of those sports where 
there's so many ups and downs and I've certainly had them. I've, I have washed superstition out of my mind and gone. <laughs> I, I, I truly will not let myself go there. I don't care which way I put my, my coin down. Um, <laughs> that was what I was going to ask. <laughs> I don't tie one shoe first. I don't, you know, I put my ball marker and my divot tool in my right pocket just because I'm right-handed, I think, you know? And, yeah. But, you know, the routine for me is I like to get to the off course um, about an hour and 45 minutes before my time do 15 minute, you know, stretching and when warm up, um, eat a meal, takes another 15 or 20 minutes. And I'm going to be on the practice facility about an hour and 10 ahead of time, putt, hit, chip and go to the tee. All right. I got to ask you a follow up to that because this is just something in general I've always been interested in. So. Y'all go out to play around, right? And yeah. but between fans and the groups and all those type things, you guys could be on the course four or five hours, all right? Right. Depending on when your tea time is, how dicey does it get with the food? Like, are you getting something to eat at the turn or like you eating on the course? <laughs> you got to get hungry, right? Uh, yeah, almost everybody eats something on the off course. So I try to eat something in the middle of the front nine, something in the middle of the back nine. Um, I love macro bars. I love... Uh, bananas nuts all you know anything anything works for me and then yeah i mean you could have a rain delay and you might not tee off till 4 30 in the afternoon and play till 8 30 at dark so yeah i mean you're gonna fit in extra meals um unfortunately uh, the pj tour is unbelievable we have great dining and they're usually serving hot food in there from 5 30 in the morning to 3 30 in the afternoon so uh, you know, if you have a delay or something, you can run back in and you know, grab an extra lunch or, you know, make a turkey sandwich or something. Okay. What is your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition, whether it's dog walk or lone trumpeter or Larry Munson coming over for battle him after the lone trumpeter or, um, you know, whether it's Bob O'Reilly, what's, mm-hmm. what's your favorite thing? Yeah, I love Bob O'Reilly. That's the fourth quarter tradition, right? Um, you know, I, it, 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 nothing beats, um, you know, the cheer we have when we kick the ball off, you know, I mean, when everybody's jumping around, cheering, go dogs, um, second, woof, 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 that, that for me, that, that, that gets the, the hair on my back standing up. All right. Black jerseys. Yes or no? No. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a fan of black, not the stadium. I went to the the games we played against Alabama and some other big teams where we blacked it out and got smoked and I'm just, I'm over it. I love the red jerseys. Let's, uh, let's, let's stick to what we do. Yeah. And the spike squad called this week for Sanford to be a red out this weekend. So it's going to be very, very red. Good. Also, also they partnered with crystal and what they told us is, is that from Sunday to Wednesday, if you wear red into any crystal across Georgia, you get free, <laughs> you get free crystal burgers. So I mean, wow, that's, how about that's that? a, that's a win for everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I could what pound some crystal burgers? Oh yeah, I, that's what I. I mean, ever since they announced that, I've been going. I think I'm gonna have to get myself a sack on the way into Athens this weekend just to <laughs> scra- scratch that itch a little bit. Right. Um, okay, I'm gonna do, and again, we'll bifurcate it. You can do loss as a fan and then loss as a player. What's the loss you're still not over? I'm. I'm not over the national championship lost Alabama. Yeah. That's just, I was at the game. We played so well the, the entire game. I feel like there were a couple of calls there in the second half that, you know, didn't go our way, especially the uh, offsides on the pump block. Oh, um, yeah. A couple missed face mask calls. And, 
you know, losing that game was tough. And, you know, I feel like we're, we really need to win a national championship now. And we really need to win over Alabama. You know, two things that yeah. whether they come in the same game or at separate times, I think, to sort of heal that wound for Georgia fans. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's that's going to be an open wound regardless, but it'll at right. least be a little smaller if there can be a little bit of, of justice in the, in the no way doubt. it's done. Okay, so this question formerly was what's your order at the varsity, but mm-hmm. since they shut down the Athens location, we made a pact that we would not ask it again until yeah. they reopen in Athens. Sounds so a little audible on that. Now we're asking – how do you get your hash browns at the Waffle House? Scattered, smothered, covered, and chunked. Oh, oh that's a good order. I'm real yeah. happy about that. Yeah, that's good. From the I, first time I went in there, I think I've done it that way every time for 15 years. Uh, that's a great order. So I'll tell you a funny story. We had a uh, former Georgia tight end, Arthur Lynch, on the show. Okay. And oh, yeah. we, we asked him, and he's like, I just, he goes, I just get them normal. There's multiple ways to order them. I was like, oh, all right. I'm like, come on, come now, on brother. Yeah. Like, you got, you got, I, I said, you got homework now. You got to go to Waffle House once a week for 10 weeks. Yeah. You got to try it all different ways. I need you to report back and tell me what you're doing now. That's it. Yeah. Okay. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs. Yes or no? Yes. Can't stand the noon game. Yeah. Same with us. And the Dern dogs are kicking off at noon next week in Nashville against Vandy, which is just, wow. I mean, it won't matter in that week, but yeah. Yeah. They should, yeah. If they're going to do it, at least it's there. Yeah. All right. Last question. College football playoff expand to either, I guess they're saying 12 now, but eight or 12 teams or find how it is now. Um, I'm torn because I feel like the, probably the best two teams have played for the title since the playoff started. Yeah. each year um but i would love to see eight teams i just i really think eight teams you know it's going to get more more good teams in there and it's going to make uh the best team have to win uh one extra game uh you know to, re- to win it all so it's going to be a little bit more of a thorough test all right you have completed smart 16 you're off the hot seat brennan thank you for indulging no. us with that no that was awesome my pleasure Hey, uh, I've got to ask you one final question. I can't believe this slipped my mind because I, I talked with Hacker about it too. There is probably no place on the planet, even Athens, Georgia, and Sanford Stadium, that I love more than being on the grounds at Augusta National. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been one time, and it was the greatest two and a half days of my life. So I just need you to tell me what it's like playing in that tournament, what it's like walking those grounds and being a part of that field and being a part of that event. Yeah, I feel the same way, and I think every player does. Um, it's definitely hallowed ground. It's just it's just such a cool environment, and you saw it as a spectator. You can tell that just no detail, no stone uh, goes unturned there. And That's when exactly we played, right. When I played the Masters, I've really felt like, um, you know, they try to make it as special of an experience for the players and the fans, and, you know, the golf course truly is – an absolute gem uh, and just so much fun to play in that tournament. Um, you know, and be, growing up watching it on TV every year and then getting to play in the tournament is uh, definitely one of my top career achievements. If you could only play one hole at Augusta for the rest of your life, which hole would you pick? Um, I'm probably going 16. That's a really fun part three. 
you know, there's, oh, a, lot like of opportunity. there's a lot of opportunity for hole in one, depending on where the pin is. Uh, you know, really cool setting down there on the pond. So I like 16. That's a great one. I'll tell you, man, I, the, the reason that, that I went was I had the opportunity. My, my college teammate had um, tickets through a family friend and wasn't going to be able to use them. Happened to be my dad's year of my dad's 70th birthday. Wow. And I t- texted him. And I was like, hey, man, my dad's like bucket list is to go to Augusta for the Masters. Any chance we could maybe get a practice round pass or something so I could take him. And um, he's like, how'd you like to go Saturday and Sunday? I was like, shut up. <laughs> and so we uh, we got into town Friday and, and him and his dad ended up leaving early. So we went in oh, Friday afternoon and then spent all Friday afternoon, Saturday and Sunday. And um, I'll tell you, man, we we did everything we could to soak it in. And by the end of the tournament, our favorite place to spend time was 15 and 16. Like I love standing on the fairway at 15 and watching the approaches right. in, which you talk about a beast of a golf hole, man. Like depending yeah. on the wind, that thing is a bear. Yeah. It's a tough shot. You know, that second, that second shot you're going for it is always challenging and the, and the wedge shots really hard too. So it's a really neat part five. Yeah. And then, you know, you can peek back and catch, Everybody coming up 17. It's like that was our favorite vantage point. You kind of get 15, 16, 17 from one spot, you know, standing in the pine straw. And uh, I'm in 100% agreement there, too. Whenever I've been to watch, I've loved that that corner right there at 15 green, 16 T. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. And I've never been anywhere like it from a golf setting where it's like an amphitheater all over the course. You can tell what's happening around the course, even if you're not there, which is a wild feeling on a golf course. Yeah, it's it's a special place. Hope to play many more, and I hope you get to go back. Well, Brendan, we uh, we we can't tell you enough how much we uh, we appreciate you spending time with us tonight, especially given that you're playing in the tournament this week. We wish you the best of luck. Hope you just throw darts all weekend. We'll be rooting for you. Appreciate uh, it. Hope uh, hope that Saturday um, you're off the course and ready to watch the dogs play at what five Pacific? No, they'll be on at four Pacific. Yeah, so four Pacific. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think we can make that happen. Hopefully, I'm finishing up on 18 about 4 p.m. on Saturday and can go watch the dogs beat the Gamecocks. Well, that that works great, man. Well, Brendan, we will be rooting for you all season long, and uh, as we always close out our shows, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs, sick them. Hey, George is better now.